Hello, my name's Suzanne Shaw. I'm a mum, singer, actress and TV personality. In 2020, my life changed beyond recognition. I used to love nothing more than going out with friends for drinks and to showbiz events and after parties, drinking and partying all night long into the early hours of the morning. But then, the following day, the hangover was too much to bear. I was riddled with anxiety and worry and completely demotivated. After years of burning the candle at both ends, my mental health was suffering. I knew I had to make some serious changes, as this life I was leading was no longer sustainable. So, I put my big girl pants on and put the work into prioritising my well-being. I quit drinking, adopted a plant-based diet and took up running. Fast forward and I am loving life. The difference is unbelievable. No more beer fear, stodgy foods, self-loathing, procrastinating. I am finally living a happier, healthier life. The life I would only dream of on a Sunday morning on a terrible hangover. In this podcast, I'll be speaking to wellness experts and well-known self-improved advocates and celebrities about all things well-being, along with finding out their tips, tricks and secrets to living a happier, healthier life. I am thrilled to have Stephen Flynn as my first guest on the Dare to be Happy podcast. Stephen is one half of the Happy Pair Twins. Stephen and his brother David are the founders of the Happy Pair brand with their cafe in Wicklow in Ireland, their online courses along with their best-selling books. They are YouTubers, podcasters and are very much at the forefront of the wellness community and are possibly the happiest people I know who can often be seen taking a dip in the Irish Sea at sunrise. Let's give a warm welcome to Stephen Flynn. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. It's so amazing to to have you a part of this. Um, but firstly, I'd like to thank you for hosting such a brilliant morning last week when I came down to join your community. That is so fantastic. Oh, it's a pleasure. It was great to see you. It was great fun. Yeah, we have a lovely little community and wonderful little world. And it's, I don't know, it's always really fun and really colourful. And it's wonderful people come to visit and be a part of it and take part and get involved. And it's, yeah, it's great. It was really lovely. Sorry you got so cold afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got to say, it was incredible to do, and I really loved being in the sea, but I took a little funny turn, I think. I think, and I did speak to your mum, Ismay, and she said, I think you were in a little bit too long. You just, the tactic is, get in, get out, and then you feel amazing for the day. I kind of swam around for a few minutes, um, kind of making it feel amazing you know really trying to reap the rewards I was trying to be brave I think as well and then um and then suddenly I uh I came out and it wasn't so much the the being in the water it it got to the bones that's for sure it was the warming up it was the most painful experience yeah, in my yeah. hands and toes and to the point I actually physically couldn't speak to anybody I was when people were speaking to me I thought I I'm, I'm going through so much pain here I just need to kind of have that moment to myself <laughs> and just recover um but wow. it was yeah it, it it was it was funny yeah it did make us giggle afterwards because um uh, alan desmond one of our mutual friends did say that happened to me last time it takes about two hours to come around <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, one time, uh, like often, not often, but one year a friend was doing Freezebury, they call it. So for the month of February, on the 1st of February, you went for one minute, the 2nd of February, you went for two minutes, right on up to the 28th of February, you went for 28 minutes. So it's it's quite a penance. And it's, oh my God, I remember there was um, two girls, I think they were from Indonesia, and they came down the 28th of February and they thought, everyone slays in for 28 minutes. So they stayed in for 28 minutes and came out and they nearly went hypothermic. It was quite, so like, it was quite, when you're not used to the cold like that, it can be kind of a little bit, yeah, you got to be a little careful. But uh, yeah, anyway, there you are. Funny, silly as a story. <laughs> I certainly didn't stay in for 20 minutes, but I think I stayed in possibly two minutes too long. But no, it was amazing. Yeah. And then afterwards, having the food, the the gorgeous breakfast that you, you put on, the porridge, just indulging in some brilliant nutrition. Um, it was just, it, it was an amazing experience. And you can see that you have built quite an extraordinary community, not just a business, not just um, a business that has a really brilliant health message throughout the whole thing. But you've done that with your brother. You are doing that with your twin brother together. Your other brother, Mark, is involved as well. It's a real family affair. There's a fourth brother who kind of runs the company, actually. Oh, no. So there's four of you. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, he's, he's kind of the MD or the CEO, whatever title you want to call him. Yeah, there's four boys, so it's, I don't know, it's it's wonderful. Like, it, as with anything, it has its challenges, but it's, there's a real close closeness. Like, they're all my best friends, so it's so nice to get to spend so much time together and do a joint activity that in, ensures that you spend a huge amount of time together and that you know each other has each other's backs and it's you can talk really straight with each other and you know this is Mark's weakness and he knows this is Steve's weakness. So I better, you know, so it's, yeah, it works really, really well. And, and also it's lots of work, but we adore it. That's amazing. Was this the plan? Was this always the plan as kids that you all wanted to work together, set a business up? What, how did this all evolve? Yeah. I don't think it was ever really a plan. We're not necessarily the, the most wonderful planners. We're more kind of spontaneous and kind of in, led more by our intuition. So kind of things unfolded, but in terms of just a little bit of a background, if anyone doesn't really know where right now I'm here in Little Greystones, uh, looking out at the sea. But I uh, grew up in Greystones. As I mentioned, I'm one of four boys, highly competitive, you know, competing for lunch, competing for dinner. And as a twin, you're competing for your mother's love and attention. Oh, you're alive. Um, <laughs> and we ate meat and two veg, played any sport that was going because, you know, I think uh, at least we were four highly energetic boys so mom just wanted to get us out running and moving and get out and burn that energy off so at least you're not crazy and wrecking the house so we yeah. were always competitive and sporty we never really considered food and how it affected our health uh we just ate meat and two veg burgers and chips whatever was going mom did her best to feed us as healthy food as she could you know with whatever knowledge she had and um yeah we you know it was very it was quite it was a wonderful upbringing and um Finished university, really didn't know what we were interested in. You know, we kind of bought into the American dream that money makes you happy. And if you've loads of possessions and you kind of have things, people will think you're successful and then you'll feel good about yourself. So we kind of bought into this idea a bit. But then when we kind of sat with it, and I remember there's the milk round. When you finish university, at least I, I did a degree in business. And at the in our final year, there's milk rounds where you go meet the kind of four or five big accounting firms and you know, you kind of pitch up for a job. And, I, you know, I was kind of really considering it. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll be an investment banker because then you can make like loads of money and I can maybe make a million before I'm 30 and then I'll be happy and then I'll know what I want to do. And, you know, when it came down to it, it was like, nah, this this just doesn't feel right. And um, 
So I remember saying it to Dave, Dave, I'm going to buy a one-way ticket. I want to go to Canada. I'm not coming back until I'm happy. I don't know what I'm interested in. And I think being an identical twin, you know, all your life you've had this wonderful support. Like it's like you have a bouncer, you have a best friend, you have a bodyguard, you have, you know, all in one. So it's incredible. And then to turn my back on that, it was kind of like, I need to go be insecure and afraid and, you know, kind of see these more harder parts of life myself and try to see where am I happy and what, you know, experiment beyond the social condition that we're fed. Like your, you know, mom and dad told us, you know, you should do this. And teachers told us we should do this. And university told us we should do this. But I think by traveling on my own, and this is pre-social media, so this is back in 2001. So yeah, you, I didn't even have a smartphone. I had an email address that you checked once a week at most. So there was real you were quite anonymous. So really had that social fluidity to try different aspects of yourself or of myself as in things that interest me. You know, I was always kind of a very sporty kind of guy and quite a jock. And it, by, by traveling, it gave me this opportunity. like, how will I redefine myself? Do I want to be like, you know, I was in Whistler, this cool ski resort and I was a snowboarder. And then eventually I was a snowboard instructor. And then I was obsessed with vegetables and being a vegetarian and I didn't want to go to parties. I just wanted to eat vegetables and learn more about vegetables. And, you know, then I went tree planting up in Northern <laughs> Canada with a whole lot of Christians and we'd sleep in the tent and we just plant trees and we get helicopters to work and then hitchhiked all around America on my own, sleeping rough. And, you know, it was wow. really just to experiment and find, you know, where I felt more comfortable in myself. It's funny that you you kind of always go searching, don't you, for um, happiness externally to start with. You think oh, it's going to be in the job, it's going to be in the relationship, it's going to be in the holiday, it's going to be in the brand new car and the new house. But the reality is we hold on to that happiness. We've got the key to the happiness all along. We hold that happiness and that's the, from the choices, the decisions, what we put into our mouths to whatever we do for our exercise, how we treat other people. It all stems from us and we, I think, from that youth all the way up to that finding yourself or understanding that, why am I searching for this externally? I'm holding it all along. I've got that key. What point in Canada did you, or America did you did you go hold on, I've, I've got the key here. I've got the, the answers. I think it's hard in that society at large. It's very externally focused. And, you know, there's this social pecking order. And, you know, we kind of, you know, we, we tend to celebrate people or, you know, give them celebrity status. I think they're better than us because they have more possessions or because they have, you know, maybe they're good at some skill or another. So it's, you know, it, it, society almost programs us to think that way, which is quite challenging. And and in my case, just to talk more specifically, I think the, my journey was a bit like a rite of passage. It was kind of one of those journeys where you're kind of, you know, you're you're on your own and you're it's hard and it's wonderful. And it's like you feel so alive. I remember, you know, hitchhiking. I, I remember I went to Burning Man on my own and I hitchhiked up there and I had nothing like I really had nothing. And I met a lot of people and some guy gave me a tent and another guy gave me a bike and I was there for about a week. And then. I'd had enough and I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm going anywhere. Any, will anyone give me a lift? Uh, wherever someone's going, I'll just go. And someone took me to San Francisco. And I remember I was in San Francisco and it was like, I'd heard about this island in the Caribbean. I don't know if it was true, but I heard about it. And as a little kind of early 20-year-old who was kind of curious about life, there was this island called Hedonism where you could go and explore the hedonistic side of life. Loads of sex, loads of parties, loads of everything. I thought, great, <laughs> am I going to go there or else? I heard of this meditation center. 
And I'm going to apply to that asylum meditation center where you go meditate for 12 hours a day for 10 days. And I thought, great, that sounds cool. So total juxtaposition, but it was like, I'll apply for the meditation center if I get it great. And if not, I'll buy a bike and I'll cycle down to the Caribbean and I'll see where I end up. Yeah. And uh, the meditation center, thankfully, well, I don't know, but anyway, they, they accepted me. So I hitchhiked my way across from um, California to Texas and sleeping rough. And I remember I got bit by a spider on the side of the road a few times. I thought I was going to, you know, anyway, it was in strange posi- situations. But I think it's truly strange situations. You kind of accept the present moment and the magic of it. And I think it's through these journeys that the darkness often helps you find more resilience within yourself, at least in my experience. I signed up to do what's called a a 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat um, and went in. I didn't really know much about it. And they take your passport and your wallet and all your things and in you go. And um, you're meditating 12 hours a day for 10 days. And it was, you know, it was very hard initially. And I felt like am I being brainwashed here? What the hell is this? This is strange. And then after a few days, the simple act of having to sit in a room and just deal with your own thoughts and your own presence and realize that like life is in the past. It is in the future. It's only now. Like, and I know that's a total cliche nowadays, but for me back then it was a huge realization. And I remember afterwards coming out and feeling just so euphoric and just drunk on life with the ability mm. to talk to others and connect. It was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And I, I think there was kind of journeys like that really reminded me of that. You know, I think the true magic of life is just how we approach the moment with ourselves. You said something there about, um, you know, you've got to feel the darkness. You've got to have that shadow to have the light. It's a real balance, isn't it? I really, truly believe you have to have one without the other. You can't always have one. You're never always going to have darkness. There will be good times. There will be light. You're never always going to have light. It's part of how it works, isn't it, the universe? Yeah, and, and like as a society, we've become very obsessed with positivity and kind of the frivolous aspects of life and afraid to kind of not necessarily embrace. Like there is a huge, wonderful move to kind of accept, you know, kind of mental health issues and all this, which is phenomenal. I think it's incredible. And also I think... There's like darkness is a part of life and it's something there's beauty in that too. And I'm not Mm. in any shape or form celebrating or saying, oh, isn't it wonderful? I feel shit today. You know, not at all. But it's like to lean into these things and to feel them and not kind of brush them under the carpet or try to put a smile on them, but to actually feel them and have have a sense of community around to support us through these moments because it's part of the human experience. And I think the more we can feel these things, the more we can be honest and real and vulnerable which I think is true strength. Do you think that's been the success to you growing a community, growing a fantastic business, a, a, a brilliant health empire? You know, you really got this well-being empire down to the sea. And I think, is that because you're not afraid for it to go wrong, to feel pain, to let go of control? Oh, no, I'm, I'm a totally flawed human like everyone else. I'm afraid of this and afraid of that, you know, but... At the same time, I'm doing my best and I'm trying and I'm showing up and, you know, I love it, which makes it a lot easier to sustain it. And I think, you know, doing it with people that I love spending time with makes it a lot easier to sustain it. So so in, in terms of just for anyone listening who doesn't know, we so our, our business is called The Happy Pair and we started in 2004. So on the back of that trip, we kind of felt like, I don't know, we felt we changed ourselves hugely internally. So we came back from, we, we left as these two meatheads who were doing male modeling and were very kind of 
you know, we used to wear Ralph Lauren shirts and short back and sides and, you know, polo shirts. And we were, you know, we played a lot of rugby. So we had these big thick necks and we were big, strong, muscly men. And we went away traveling and, you know, we, we kind of changed our diet and lifestyle hugely. We, we, we found meaning for us um, in kind of eating healthy, eating a, a vegan diet, if you will, you know, spending more time on our own in community like an in community might sound weird and hippie where you're like in a commune but like as in mm-hmm. having friends that support one another as opposed to slag each other and kind of are mean to each other you know we, we played a lot of rugby so it was very much you know lads slagging each other in this type of culture and we were kind of into swimming the sea and we kind of given up drinking alcohol which was quite strange given that we grew up in this highly macho culture where drink was kind of the main social lubricant and by moving beyond that suddenly it was like when we came back we kind of dressed differently suddenly I had long hair and I used to wear polyester shirts and paint my fingernails and I, it was almost to tell the world I've changed like please treat me differently don't put me in the same box because yeah. I wasn't comfortable enough in myself to I, I needed this external stimuli to kind of tell people be wary or treat me a bit different I'm not the same and I think it was so so in essence anyway we, we started a fruit and veg shop with a dream of creating a happier healthier world and building community and I guess we saw that through our transformation of giving up alcohol and changing our diet and kind of almost changing our focus in life as opposed to being about making money and kind of material success to be much more about health happiness and community you know gave us such a sense of, of meaning and we started yeah. our little business with a little veg shop and this dream and this you know, rugged enthusiasm and this kind of, you know, almost puppy dog energy that was like, wow, you're getting carrots. What are you going to do with those carrots, Mrs. Murphy? You know, this type of thing. We were really <laughs> just so up for it. Um, and roll on now. We've been at it 17 years and the business has grown in many different ways and that we've, you know, we've 60 products and about a thousand stores. I think we've eight now um, kind of health courses where we partner with medical professionals from you know dietitians gastroenterologists bariatric gps and lots of different wonderful people to kind of help i think we've we've had almost seventy thousand people throughout the world do our courses then we've Mm. written six cookbooks and anyway we've done loads of bits and it's wonderful and we love it and it's fabulous and um, yeah that's the happy thing It is amazing for, you know, 17 years ago when you first started out. Did you ever think, actually, oh, I'm not sure this is working. This is hard. Loads of times. Yeah. (laughs) I think anyone who's self-employed can relate to that, that it's hard. And there are times where it's really not working out. But then I think when you persevere through it, it's like the darkest moment of the night is just before dawn. And I think the moment that you can... Like, I know this this metaphor might sound really crap, but like so often I'd be in the cafe and I'd be manic busy. There'd be such a queue. There could be a queue of 60, 70 people. And like, you'd be, we didn't have enough staff. And I'd be like, just reaching boiling point. And as soon as I take out my phone to call, Dave, I need your help when you come here. As soon as I call him, suddenly it's all okay. And I, you know, when that happens time and time and time and time and time and time again, that you kind of, you know, it's, if you can just push through that moment where you're just about to break and just about to give up and just hold on that tiny little bit more, suddenly the clouds kind of part and it kind of, it opens up. Another example I remember, uh, I'll go approximately eight years ago. I remember we were kind of struggling as the business. The business was struggling financially and it was kind of, it was hard work. It felt like uphill all the way. And I remember we just agreed to write a book with Penguin and Penguin Ireland had never published a cookbook and um, 
you know, not, not, not to mind a vegetarian cookbook. Mm. Um, and we didn't, we weren't really on TV at all. And, you know, we weren't that known. And um, they said, well, she, but, you know, if, if you had a TV show, lads, the average chef would sell about 2,000 copies. But, um, you know, you got to shop and we're going to print 6,000 and hopefully they'll sell over 10 years or something. And you were like, okay, great. That sounds cool. Fabulous. Great. Can't wait. And I remember um, the book came out in September and I was away in Spain on holidays uh, and I was really upset to be missing. Like our book was coming out. Wow, it's a big deal. Mm. And I remember Dave phoned me up the day the book came out and he said, some fella has driven two hours and he wants me to write my name on the book. Like, I don't get it. I really don't get it. He was amazed that someone would want Dave, like, to, to Dave to put his name on a book. Like, it was like, yeah. wow, this is mad. Uh, but when the book came out, it kind of, it, it, it was a catalyst. So, so I'm not saying like that if you write a book, suddenly your, your business will change. But in this case, the book was the fruit of a lot of struggle, if you will. Mm. And when the book came out, suddenly the book that year, you know, it was the best-selling cookbook in Ireland. And then the next year it was still the best-selling cookbook. I'd said on Jamie Oliver and all these other people. So it was, it, it was, it was a wonderful catalyst that, through sticking through that hard time, it kind of really get, took us on a whole other trajectory. So I, I guess I've learned a lot of times in business that if you can just hold on, often it does open up. If you can have faith, then you can continue to persevere. And if surely you're enjoying it as well, you've got to enjoy it to keep persevering. I sure love it. Great yeah. fun. And I think maybe we're fortunate enough, like me and Dave, that you kind of have each. I think. There's a wonderful beauty in twinship. And I know this is, I'm sorry for those of you who aren't a twin, which is probably most people, uh, but there's this yeah. wonderful security <laughs> in that. Shit, it all goes wrong. So they think, well, and we'll, you know, we'll find something else to do and we'll have good fun, you know, because it's not like, it's all a game. Like it doesn't yeah. really matter. You know, if we make, if we change the world, fabulous. And if we don't change the world, we'll have a nice time and we'll have it, you know. And I think having that degree, and, and it's, it might sound quite frivolous and quite sound detached. And it's not this cold, detached austerity. You know, we, we love it. We try it with all our heart. And at the same time, I think there's this sense of belief that, sure, if it doesn't work out, sure, I have faith that all will be well. I don't know. Yeah. Do you ever watch that movie, The Three Idiots? No. I love that movie in that sense of, you know, you touch your heart and all is well, all is well. And I think yeah. whatever way we're fortunate to be bestowed with that blind faith that all is well. You know, even when it's not, you're still going, it's going to be okay. I believe, I believe, you know, that way. I was actually saying it to my partner the other day. I think it was on the way back from uh, from visiting you guys. I said, what a wonderful thing it must be to to be a twin, to have that support that you have, someone's got your back. There's somebody there, particularly if you've gone into business with them, that you completely trust them. They have got your back. And if it doesn't work out, so what? When you're on your own, it's a little bit more, it's scary. It's a scary journey. Yeah, yeah. Even yesterday, we were we were in London yesterday and there was we were organising a friend for friends. And, you know, I hadn't seen lots of them in a year, maybe two years due to COVID. And I remember even a week prior, I was just sending messages to each of them and, you know, send them to kind of Henry and Ian. And people I hadn't seen for a year. I was quite nervous. and was kind of going, geez, I feel a bit self-conscious reaching out to these people. And then we were doing it together and we were having a laugh. And it was like, once you reach that point, it's like, well, like at the very least, even if they don't want to come, at least me saying, listen, I really value you and I think you. And would you come? Like, because I really, to me, you're a friend. Would you yeah. come? You know, this type of thing. Yeah. And I think yeah. once you can, again, push beyond it and reframe it and kind of, you know, try to see it from the other point of view, you can do more. And similarly, yesterday, more, yesterday before the event, we were kind of nervous. It was kind of like, 
geez, thank God I'm a twin. I don't know how. Like, how people <laughs> do this on their own? They're really strong. They're stronger than me. You know that way? But then you show up and it's great crack. And yeah. really, really fun. I've got to say, there's been many a time since kind of changing my lifestyle and doing new things and quitting alcohol. I was like, I wish I had a twin who was going through the same as me, who I could just really connect with. Because not only is, you know, going into business and setting up your own business really tough but things like when you decide to go and change your lifestyle completely differently to your own friends and family and your your you know the the people that you surround yourself with going vegan and quitting alcohol which I did it's it's just become I've become quite alienated from my my tribe so I've had to find that connection through community yeah, I think we're very fortunate, and I say we as in me and Dave. Sorry, I tend to use the plural a lot because I, I yeah. still identify as a twin. <laughs> a we, <wee. laughs> um, but I, I think to me, what the twin symbolizes is that sense of support and that community. So for anyone listening who doesn't have a twin, which is most people, I'm guessing, you know, and if you are considering any lifestyle change or embarking on a business, in our experience, I think one of the best things you can do is to have that sense of support because. You know, nowadays, you know, in a recent study, I remember listening to it where they asked a group of millennials, you know, what do they think was most important in life? And over, over I think it was 80% of them thought money and then over 50% of them thought fame. Whereas in reality, in the Harvard Longitudinal study where they were kind of looking at, it's one of the longest studies that ongoing. I think mm. it's gone over 70 years now. And they were kind of looking at what was the most, the, the, the biggest determinant on longevity and health. And, you know, people can often, as I mentioned, could think it's money or fame, but they found it as friendship. And can you turn to someone when, you know, when you're feeling shit and go, listen, I feel shit. And they go, I know what that feels like. Come on, we go for a walk. You know, and they're not trying to change you and they're not trying to, you know, not validate your feelings. They're just kind of going, that's all right. But come on, we're going, let's look over here. Mm. See if we can find something nice under these rocks. You know that way? And I think that's so important. I've found community really, really helpful on this this kind of new change to my lifestyle. I mean, it's been two years now, but going vegan, um, you know, tapping into your community for that, you know, looking at your books, following your um, Instagram page has helped me no end to really understand that, you know, it is a journey. What you taught me with that, what you and David taught me was... Um, it's it you don't have to be perfect with it either you feel like well, if you go okay I'm gonna go vegan which I now call myself plant-based and not vegan because I don't get it right um and there's times where you mm. know I've looked at something I've gone oh oh it's got honey in it oh okay well you know I do like that so I might occasionally use it and and when you're around at parents houses you don't want to offend them if they've made something um so I could never probably go down the route of saying I'm vegan but I do have this journey I'm plant-based I love this lifestyle I feel better about myself for it not just internally but externally with you know the ethical reasons um you really have made this possible for people to you've made it easier for people I think with what you're delivering in your community in your books in your podcasts and, and and on social media so thank you for a start has it been a journey for you too to get to this point yeah, of course. A total journey. Every day is a journey, you know the way. Totally. But but I think community is something that's undervalued. You know, I think as a society, we tend to celebrate success and we don't realize that success is as a result of the support that you had around you. And similarly, we tend to vindicate those who fail and we tend to it's your fault. But really they didn't have the support around them. And I think the more we can 
move from seeing us as individuals like the only reason the happy pair is was it is is because we've had so much support and so much you know family and friends that help us and help us through this so it's although we're you know the tip of the spear that are often celebrated in reality there's a team behind us that do most of the work and we yeah. get to do lots of the fun work and lots of the shittest work and the hardest work too yeah but yeah. you know i i think the more we can move beyond seeing us all as separate and seeing us all you know interlinked the more the more we find joy real joy as opposed to frivolous moments of i feel so happy but whereas actually you feel content and calm and you feel kind of grateful you know i think these are more i don't know they're more important to me beyond you know society we tend to celebrate ultra positivity and happiness and you know happiness is kind of fleeting you know it's there and i feel happy in this moment and then you know it's rainy and it's windy and i feel cold and i feel hungry and then i feel whatever it is but i think the more we can try to celebrate a sense of contentment at least for me the more there's you can see beauty in it all like even in the shitty rainy days you can go jesus lovely day i know it's lashing rain it's manky but by the fire here i'm elected you know that type of thing yeah less of the i and more of the we you get that more grounded sense that level when you have connection and gratitude you feel grounded whereas when happiness can kind of Mm. that enjoyment that positivity can be flying up here with your energy but you know that can go and it's euphoric and it's wonderful and we all love it yeah it's amazing like a drug oh it's a wonderful feeling like there was a nice expression, you know, there was a, a yogi was doing a talk, I think, and someone put their hand up and said, what's the difference between illness and wellness? And I'm sure lots of people have heard this, but I think it's, you know, it's very, I think there's a lot nice gravity to it. He just walked up without saying anything and wrote illness on the board and then wrote wellness on the board and then sat down and then stood up a minute later and just circled the I in illness and circled the, the we in wellness. And I thought that was just a nice metaphor that the more we mm. can see the world as a we in the sense of collective, the more we we move into that actual wellness as opposed to, you know, a lot of anxiety and a lot of a lot of depression. I'm not saying all can come from disconnection and from feeling isolated. And it's only natural that we, you know, we evolved from the plains of the Sahara where we were we didn't survive because we were the biggest or the strongest or the fastest. We survived because we had the ability to coordinate and function together. It was only natural when we became isolated. We felt depressed. We felt anxious because there was something bigger and stronger and faster that was going to eat us for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Mm. So I think it's hardwired into our DNA that when we're isolated, we feel lonely and we feel depressed, like literally depressed. And it's when we feel well, we feel connected and we feel a part of something. We feel a sense of belonging and we feel a sense of home. And I think that's where there's, there's real wellness. have you been able to apply plant-based or veganism into your children's life has it been an easy thing to do because I struggle my family are probably 70% plant-based but my youngest is a really fussy eater and I really do struggle with it so have you got any secret tips or ways to help with healthier eating in general but particularly you know veganism I think healthier is the key as opposed to the the doctrine. You know, I'm like, I've been eating a vegan diet now for 20 years and my wife isn't vegan. 
But right. she's kind of ninety nine percent vegan. But she'll eat something like meat or something once a month just to kind of go. I'm not letting you put me in that category of vegan. I don't want to be called a vegan, even right. if I think it makes lots of sense. I don't want to be called that. Don't put me in a box. And I'm like, oh, I kind of admire you for that, even though I think differently. <laughs> um, so, in, in terms of us raising our children, I kind of at home they eat what we eat, so they eat a yeah. vegan diet. And then when they go out, we want them to be children, so we want them to you know, make their own decisions because I don't want to force my ideolo- my ideology on them. It is already forced on them enough. Yeah. But basic things that we found that really work, you know, kids are hard to feed. Like that's just the nature of it is they're changing yeah. and, you know, they kind of challenge you and challenge me. My children challenge me all the time. They're amazing. They're one of my greatest teachers. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, a few things that we found that really help is getting them involved in the food production is really, you know, as in, don't be afraid of giving them a knife and getting involved and, you know, obviously warn them that a knife's sharp and if you do cut yourself, it will hurt. But, you know, with our children, and I say we as in me and my wife and Dave and his kids, get them involved, get them making it, get them growing some of the veg and then they're much more vested in tasting. And even if they don't like it, at least they're they're a part of it and they get it. Other things is hunger is really important. You know, in modern day society, we seldom feel hunger because food we use to escape feelings that we don't like. I feel tired, I feel a little anxious so I'll have some food I feel whatever food is entertainment and it's escapism whereas food is sustenance we we need to eat to survive and I think the more we feel hungry the more we can find simple pleasure in really simple whole foods because you know when they look at the two most biggest drivers of um, how much pleasure you get from food number one is the calorific density in your food so the more calories in your food the more feeling of pleasure you get. Because, you know, if you think about it, you're a mammal, you're trying to survive for as long as you can. And at the most rudimentary level to hope one day to pass on your DNA. And if you find, you know, a spinach leaf, you can eat it. Yay, 100 calories per pound. You could find a piece of fruit, approximately 300 calories per pound. Okay, better jackpot. I could find a starchy vegetables, approximately 500 calories per pound. I could find nuts and seeds, approximately 1,800 calories per pound. I could walk into the supermarket and buy a half liter bottle of oil and it'd be 4,000 calories per pound. So calorific density is the number one determinant of how much pleasure you get from your food. And the Mm. second one, which most people don't think of, is hungry. The more hungry you are, the more your survival is at risk, the more you find pleasure in simple foods. Um, Mm. So... By that, I'm saying not to starve your children, but when they experience hunger, they're much more likely to eat the vegetable soup, eat the brown bread, eat the piece of fruit. Whereas if they're kind of not really that hungry and they're slightly jacked up on sugar, there's not a chance. Like my kids go off to a party and they come back, you know, bouncing off the walls because they've eaten half a ton of sugar. They kind of, I kind of offer them a, 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 you know, a bowl of veg soup. They kind of stick their fingers up at me and stick their tongue out at me. They have no intention of eating it. But if I leave them, you know, kind of process the sugar and go a little bit hungry, they might come back to me a few hours later and go, can I have some of your stupid soup, dad? And they might actually eat it. So, it's, you know, I think as as my granny used to say, hunger is a great sauce. And I think hunger is, you know, is an important part of, you know, a healthy diet. I've actually never thought about it like that. You know, there's... There's things like, you know, I enjoy doing intermittent fasting because I really do feel like the importance of giving your organs a little bit of a rest. I feel more energized from it. I feel more alert, awake. But you're right. You're more likely to have a healthier, the first meal that you have. I'm not just going to go and have a packet of crisps or a biscuit. I want something that is going to really give me that nutrients 
in my body. So it's a really good point that going hungry is a is a part of it, an important part of your day, really. Yeah, and it's not it's not even that you'll want the healthier thing. It's that if you have the healthier thing, it will taste better. Yeah. Like as in, you know, your 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 survival is at more at risk. So you'll take anything that has calories in it. So, you know, if you're half full and you've already consumed two thousand calories and you need, you know, you've kind of almost taken your daily total calories. And if you're offered a bowl of spinach, there's no way you want it. But if you've been hungry most of the day and suddenly offers you a bowl of spinach, you might go, mm, I'd have a little bit of it. And you might actually taste it because there's no other option. So I think, yeah. you know, it's hunger will, it, it mightn't necessarily want you to, you might want to take the healthier thing, but if you do eat the healthier thing, it will taste better and you'll find more pleasure in it because you're hungrier. For those who are in a little bit of a, bad cycle of eating processed foods who are looking to get a little bit healthier what are the small steps people could take to just introduce a little bit more of a whole food diet into their life so for for anyone listening who kind of wants to you know has a desire to eat healthier i think it's healthier is the key i i you know often in modern day society or in this type of age we're living in we tend to celebrate perfectionism whereas perfection doesn't exist none of us are perfect we're all flawed humans going around doing our best and i think terms like veganism and things are very binary and it's like i am or i am not and i i like it or i hate it whereas i think Mm. there's a spectrum and it's like it's making baby steps if you look at the blue zones which they're the five areas in the planet where there's the most amount of centenarians so that's people who've lived over the age 100 and these people don't live these long healthy happy fulfilled lives because they have super genetics it's simply because their lifestyle forces them to make the healthy choice or their environment does. So I think it's not an either or, it's more an and. So it's like the the research is really, really clear that the more whole foods you can eat, the more you're moving towards health and the more refined and animal foods you're eating, the more you're moving towards illness. So, you know, if you look to the blue zones in four out of the five places, 95% of their diet was whole food. They weren't vegan, they weren't vegetarian, but most of what they ate was a whole food. And for anyone's going to go, what the hell is a whole food? A whole food is a fruit, a vegetables, beans, legumes, nuts, seeds, and whole grains. So it's an unrefined, unprocessed foods. Versus a processed food might be a croissant, white pasta, white bread, and an animal food would be anything that had a face or a mother. So I know that sounds crude, but like mm. a chicken, a turkey, you know, eggs, milk, cow's milk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, versus if you look at the average diet in um, you know the UK, Ireland, US, typically it's around 50 to 60% refined food. So 50 to 60% of all calories we consume are ultra processed foods. So from croissants, white bread, white pasta, et cetera, et cetera. Chips, fried, deep fried chips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and it's foods that most people love because yeah. they're hardwired. They kind of, you know, really hardwire and take over our desire for pleasure and then it'd be approximately 30 to 35 percent animal foods even come up to 40 percent animal foods and leaving less than 10 percent for whole plant foods versus in these blue zones it's 95 percent of their diet is whole plant food so i think for anyone listening it's not an either or it's more an and and it's like if you're if you're if you don't feel inspired to do it for yourself Research out of the University of Oxford in 2018 found that the single biggest thing, and this encompassed 90% of the food chain, they found that the single biggest thing that you could do for the environment wasn't, you know, solar powered heating for your 
home or it wasn't electric cars and it wasn't not flying it was eating a plant-based diet or a vegan diet so i think the more you can move towards that the more for your own health for the health of the planet and you will have more energy and you will feel mm. better so simple things that you can do if you don't like vegetables start with fruit try to eat fruit when it's in season right now we are in march so it's the end of the citrus season in northern europe and they're phenomenal like you could literally sit down and eat 12 oranges in one go and you get a lovely organic Sicilian navel orange or one of these. They're beautiful. So I think the more you can, you know, and then coming into April, May, it'll be the start of strawberries. Woo! Yay! Exciting. I love really that. Sweet, really juicy, you know, yeah. you know we're, we're approaching in Ireland, the UK, we're approaching the hungry months. But, you know, this is when typically less, the, the harvest hasn't come and people haven't, they're only just planting crops. Mm-hmm. So I think the more you can, do small little things like, you know, if you're having, if you, if you, for bro- breakfast, you normally have coffee and a croissant, maybe have a piece of fruit with it. Maybe blend yeah. up some fruit with some, some milk as a smoothie. Maybe try one of those chia seed puddings. We have over 400 recipes on our YouTube channel with over 40 million views. and They're all free. So like there yeah. are loads of resources there. And it's like, instead of maybe cooking a chicken curry, pr- cook your chicken curry, but put a can of chickpeas in it. Like it's yeah. baby steps and cheddar cheese and, white pasta choose brown pasta and yeah. a few little changes and it has that wonderful compounding effect because typically the average fiber intake in the uk and ireland is somewhere between 14 and 17 grams yet the recommended daily allowance or recommended daily intake minimum is 30 grams and in reality we should be getting 50 to 60 grams a day so and fiber you will only find in fruit veg beans legumes nuts and seeds and whole grains yeah. so you don't get fiber in animal foods you get very little of a refined food so it's like it's a total indicator that as a society, we are not eating enough fruit and veg. So it's like, it's baby steps, like eat a tin of beans with whatever you're making, like brown rice instead of white rice. You know, just try mixing it up. They found in research from the American Good Project found that the single biggest thing you could do for your microbiome, which is the home of 70% of your immune system, was to eat a plant-based foods. And it was mm. then the second most important thing was diversity, a diversity of plant-based foods to try to get more than 30 different types of fruit and veg a week. And they found that only one in 250 people actually achieve this. So it's, it's rare to eat a variety of fruit and veg, but it's the single biggest thing you can do for your longevity. And it's in terms of your digestion health, the, the number one most important thing you can do is eat plant-based foods. The number two most important thing you can do is eat plant-based foods. The number three thing you can do is eat plant-based foods and focus on diversity. Yeah. Um, and I guess in terms of the microbiome, I'm speaking from experience, we have a, a happy gut course or gut health revolution with Dr. Alan Desmond, who's a consultant gastroenterologist. So we've lots of experience with this. We've had over 30,000 people through our courses and um, helping people improve their digestion. So it really does work and we've seen it in countless cases. Am I right in saying that you actually early on did your own research? You got a nurse from the local, from your local village um, to help you out and you ran your own research with 20 people. Is that, am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mad. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of chancers. Yeah, you know, I, I think love being that. Between, you're a bit of a chancer. <laughs> so we were, let's see, we were working in the, Dave would be working in the bed shop and I'd be cooking in the kitchen. Uh, a chef in the cafe and um, we were doing kind of healthy eating courses upstairs and we found you know they were lovely and people had you know learned what a lentil was and how to cook a butternut squash and things but we found people really weren't making any lasting changes towards health 
And at the same time, Dave, uh, you know, he was at the veg stop and he'd meet, say, Mary Cal came in and Mary would go, I lost two stone on Weight Watchers. And Dave would kind of go, wow, people hmm. really love quantifying their improvement in health. And he kind of thought, I wondered, Steve, can we come up with a course? Can we move on like our, our cooking courses and like try to come up with some metrics? People love metrics and measuring their improvement and quantifying things. Yeah. So uh, we went down, David and I did, he was reading a book by the same, at the time by Dr. Dean Ornish, um, who showed in, what was the name of his, I think it was called the Lifestyle Heart Trial, where he showed that in 80%, 80% of cases, you could reverse the indicators of cardiovascular disease through eating a whole food plant-based diet. So they thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I wonder, could that work with Irish people? And could that work like in Greystones? And he thought, actually, let's try it. So we walked down to the doctor, our local doctor, which was Brendan Cuddy, knocked on his door. How are you, Brendan? Um, we're looking for a nurse. And he said, yeah, Angela's next door. And we went in, Angela, we want to reverse heart disease. Please help us. She went, lads, I've been waiting for you my whole life. No, she didn't. She said, uh, how much did you pay me? We said 50 quid. And she said, I'm in. So um, Angela came up and we put up posters. So this was pre-social media. So you literally put posters, not, not a post, but yeah. a poster around the shop and around the town. And we put it in the, the local parish bulletin is in, in the church. Um, you know, and it was a little thing saying, you know, reverse heart disease, skinny, sexy, free. And uh, 20 people signed up. So Angela came in the first night and she measured everyone's cholesterol. She used a simple pinprick um, means of measuring it. She measured everyone's blood pressure and their weight. And they came up to us and we put them on a whole food plant-based diet. And in essence, we were teaching them how to cook and how to eat a whole food plant-based diet because pretty much everyone who came was not into a vegan diet was not into a whole didn't know what the hell a whole food plant-based diet was and they were mostly coming out of mild curiosity mm. uh, and probably some of them were even bored and um, but we it was like vegetable AAA so we were passing around you know this is what a dal <laughs> is and this is what you know an old an unsulfured dioxide dried apricot tastes like and this is what you could eat for porridge and this is what you could eat for lunch and this is what you could eat for dinner and it was kind of like a cooking class in so many ways but we put um some videos on by doctors so it just showed there was a medical aspect to it so they came along for four weeks each week for the four weeks and at the end of it we were quite kind of worried and slightly anxious because we'd really built it up this is definitely going to work we're going to have amazing results just you wait and see it and i came to result day and i was like geez, Dave, I really hope this works. Like, I don't know if this got work, but sure, you know, we're trying, we're trying. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, there was an average drop of cholesterol of 20%. Everyone lost weight. Everyone's blood pressure regulated. Wow. There's even two blind people who did the course, and they were miraculously able to see. Okay, the, the blind bit was a joke. But, um, you know, the results were fabulous. And subsequently, then the Irish Times, which is the national newspaper, did a big piece on it. And then the, the other national newspaper, uh, the spreadsheet did a, a big piece on it and suddenly it got way too busy and we were still getting up at 4 30 a.m and going to the food market and cooking in the cafe and so it was like I didn't want to do it all the time so we we built an online course and again mm. like total chances we thought you know it might take might take a few weeks maybe a month and maybe you know maybe cost us a couple of grand it took us about a year and it cost us over six figures and we thought as soon as we turn this on people are going to come from all over the world to do it and it was like no didn't happen uh but we, we kind of we thought initially to give it out for free because we thought people really need this yeah we found out people wouldn't do it and then when we charged them 50 quid like the equivalent of 50 pounds they still wouldn't do it and we found mm. that it was only when people were paid the equivalent of 100 euros 
that they suddenly were like, okay, I've actually invested in this. I'm going to actually do it. Wow. And they get amazing results. And that was kind of the, the start of our online courses. And, um, you know, to date, we've had over 70,000 people. We partner with cardiologists. So that's in our happy heart course, a cardiologist. So that's yeah. a, a doctor that specializes in you know heart function. Then we have a, a good course or a digestion course called the Good Health Revolution with Dr. Alan Desmond, a yeah. gastroenterologist. And we have one called the Happy Shake course, which is with Sue Keneally, who's a bariatric GP. So that's someone who specializes in weight management. And, how, yeah. you know, so often people, the approach to, to weight management can be through calorie counting, whereas we run a course where it's all you can eat, no calorie counting, no portion control. Love it, love it, love it. Based on eating whole foods. Yeah, yeah, so it's great. Anyway, we have loads of fun with it. It's a great laugh. That's fantastic. Just tearing up the rule book or whatever was created as a rule book with all these calorie countings and fad diets and actually doing some good. Um, I'm a massive advocate of that. Uh, it's been amazing to chat to you. It's been absolutely fantastic. Learned so much about you. Oh, thanks, Susie. Thanks but one question that I do have at the end of this podcast, it's obviously called Dare to be Happy. Now, obviously, you do loads of daring things. This is a hard one for me to ask you. I mean, you're jumping in ice cold water. You're doing all these incredible things. What would you recommend to somebody else? What thing would you say, I dare you to try this? for a few weeks, a day, a month. I dare you to do it because I think it will make you happy. What would your recommendation be? Okay, does it have to be one? Oh, no, it can be a few. doesn't have to be one. The first thing I'd say is to try to say hello to people as you walk past. You know, so often we're walking with a, an outrageous commitment to the direction we're going that we seldom see the people around us. And as a result, we kind of almost expend the present moment you know, to, to get in the in the pursuit of getting to where we want to do. But I think the more you can, you know, all friendship, if you think of all your friends that you have, they all started with a hello and yeah. what's your name? You know, they all started and typically they say it takes 30 to 40 hours to build a friend and they all start with hello. And I think as a society, we need to start saying hello. We need to look each other in the eye, even making eye contact with someone. And, you know, when they actually receive, see you, it releases more serotonin in our body and reduces our cortisol. If you kind of shake hands, if you do a high five with someone, you get even a bigger hit. So I think the more as a society that we can actually walk past each other, look at like, not, not like look at someone as in there's a piece of meat, but as in look at someone in the eye, there's another human, I see you. You know, you don't actually have to have to say all this. This sounds weird. <laughs> but it's more that you see someone and you say hello and you're not afraid. You know, I think the more... You know, in, in, in other research from built on from the Blue Zone project, they were trying to find, um, you know, what were the key drivers to longevity, the factors that would make you live long and happy and healthy. And obviously one of them was, you know, diet and lifestyle. But the other one and community was the single most important thing. But the next most important thing was called social, what do they call it? Social integration. It's like, do you say hello to the person that makes your cup of coffee? Do you say hello to the postwoman or the postman? Do you say hello to the lady that walked past you every day on the way to work? And they found out that this was so important for your sense of place and your sense of belonging to the community. So I think for anyone listening, something that I find really helps my happiness is having those little chats, those little insignificant, frivolous chats about the weather. And those little things that you think are ridiculous, but they're where the real meaning is in life, I believe, at least mm. in my experience. My wife is from Poland and she's quite, 
you know, they don't really do small talk around there, like in Poland. But mm. research is really clear that small talk is kind of like, it's like a little dance where you're kind of going, do I want to go any deeper with, with this person? Where it's, it's, it's very safe. You're not talking about, you're not showing any vulnerability or anything kind of exposing anything about yourself. You're talking about something neutral and safe. And it's kind of a wonderful space to kind of go, do I want to actually go any deeper with you? And I think these little frivolous conversations are the start of friendship. And it's the start of those, you know, some of my favorite days, I'm walking around just saying hello to people, I'm having those little chats, lovely day in it. Do you watch the match, Mark? You know, these little, yeah. small, what seem like, like insignificant interactions, these are the magic. And I think the more we as a society can build more of this community, we'll be more resilient, more connected, and we'll live longer and happier lives with more meaning. So I think, I think I'll finish with that one. That's my one. That's say hello to our neighbours. Say hello to people. If you're listening, I dare you to say hello for the next week, solidly, every time you see someone. Just say hello and look them in the eye and really mean it. Let them be seen. I love that. Yeah, and sometimes you'll feel stupid and, so, and very often they won't say hello. But even just looking at them and not be looking at your phone and not be looking too busy or too cool or too slick or too great, you know, I think that's, in my experience, that's where there's lots of joy. Somebody yesterday, I was on the tube. And you know what the tube can be like in London? No one says anything to anyone. No one looks at anyone. And I was sat there and I looked up at this lady And she smiled at me, but she genuinely smiled. She gave me a smile. And I have not had that often where it has made me feel really happy. It made me feel really good. I remember coming off the tube and I was thinking about it. I met up with my friend and I couldn't stop telling her about the way her smile made me feel. It made me feel good about myself. It made me feel seen. Mm. And I thought, wow, that was so powerful. And she just, she just smiled and I thought, I, and, and it made me smile at other people as I was walking past them. It was yeah. so powerful, such a powerful thing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Susie. It's a pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. It's lovely to chat to you. What a brilliant episode that was. It's never a dull moment with one of the Happy Pair Twins. And I'm definitely going to be saying hello to a few more people. It really brightens up your day, brightens up the world a little bit when you smile and you connect with other people around. But probably better to do it in daylight and not try that out when it's night time. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a good tip. But I do challenge you. I challenge you to say hello to more people out there. Um, Great tip. Thanks, Stephen, for that. Thank you so much for listening to Dare to Be Happy. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to me if you could share my show with your friends and family. And if you could rate and review and subscribe, it means others can find out all about the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at Susie underscore Shaw, or you can email me at info at thehappyhealthclub.com. Sending you tons of love and I'll see you soon.